The following episode contains graphic details of a violent crime. This episode will have content pertaining to a suicide and may not be suitable for all listeners. If you have had suicidal thoughts or suffer from PTSD, this episode may not be for you. If you find the things you hear become a trigger for you, please contact your nearest crisis center or National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Listener discretion is advised. First off, we want to update our listeners on a few facts that we misinterpreted in last week's episode. For one, David Hicks never joined the TBI. He was working for the 23rd Judicial Drug Task Force, which is separate from the TBI. But again, he was removed from this position due to his questionable practices, taking drugs and money from those traveling through his jurisdiction. Also, I believe that I said that Mr. Hicks was the one who actually pulled over the New York businessman when, in fact, it wasn't him to actually pull him over on the highway, but the patrolman did so at his direction. And also, it was Hugh Allen Heflin that was found dead from suicide in the jail shower with his hands and feet bound and gag in his mouth. His father was Allen D. Heflin, and he sued the county. Everything happened so fast. It was over before I knew what was happening. I couldn't change what happened. I couldn't bring those girls back. All I could do was put a friend in prison for the rest of his life, and I wouldn't do that. These are the words that Tim Webb reportedly shared just weeks before he took his own life. Welcome to episode six of Murder at Land Between the Lakes. Today, we're going to dive into the confession that Tim Wedd made before his death and other details that keep coming up and gnawing at us that seem to have something to do with this case. Amelia, is this the first time you've heard that there was a witness? So, so no, not at all, actually. We have had many people like, share their anonymous input with us, and a lot of it lines up with the idea that there was more than one person that was there and or committed these crimes. So it makes sense to me that Tim would want to tell the truth before taking his own life. I don't see any reason to fabricate a story at that time. And maybe if it wasn't suicide, then it seems to even give the confession more credibility. Maybe someone was trying to keep him from telling the story again and again. Tim told his story to more than one person. As a matter of fact, several people close to Tim have heard firsthand knowledge of his recollection. So we've also heard multiple accounts that have David Hicks using inmates in the local jail to clean up the crime scene, actually taking them out of the jail over to the crime scene and having them clean it up. I'm not sure that this is a typical practice and maybe it is to put the inmates to work. I'm really not sure, but cleaning up crime scenes Crime scenes seems like it would be the job of a much more qualified group of individuals. Were they there to throw out stuff or collect evidence? I don't, I'm not sure, but is it typical that authorities would be concerned with cleaning up, you know, a crime scene in the middle of the woods? I mean, that would be there, you know, I mean, what would there be left to clean up, especially if the bodies had already been taken away for autopsy and supposedly evidence had already been collected? 
And there was evidence. The evidence that we understand was stolen out of the TBI agent's vehicle. For information that we have gathered, this evidence included potentially cigarette butts and cigarette packages, a blanket, a shirt, and some other items. These items could be used today to retrieve DNA possibly um, if they were still available. Hey listeners, we just wanted to take a quick break to say thank you for listening in. It's because of you that Murder at Land Between the Lakes has had over 8,000 listens in over 15 countries. Carla and Vicky's story can no longer be ignored. Their story will be told for years to come, and hopefully with your help, justice for the family and for the community of Stewart County will come even sooner. So back to the confession of Tim Webb. In addition to sharing his presence there the day of the murders, why did he say his friend killed the girls? What was the motive? Well, from what Tim supposedly shared, the girls were killed because one or both of them would not have sex with his friend. So, wow. I mean, that seems so vile and upsetting that the course of action someone would take because of this rejection would be to murder to murder them, not one, but two people. In recent days, we've been getting notes from local residents that there is talk that possibly the girls were trading sex for drugs. Now, we want to try to explain why we don't think that this is the case and debunk this theory. From what we've heard from close friends and family, the girls only smoked cigarettes and Carla may be the occasional joint. Marijuana made Vicky feel sick, so she did not smoke pot at all. Now, we want to also note that in the autopsy report, both girls' toxicology reports came back negative for drugs. You know, their bodies have been decomposing for three weeks, so since we have already admitted that we're not doctors, we don't know how long drugs stay in your system once a body stops metabolizing. But our thought process is that if there was drugs in their body when they were killed, then it should show up on the toxicology report, we would think. Lainey, I I know I'm always talking about hyperboles and philosophies, and very early on we posted on our Facebook page the definition of Occam's razor. I always try to use this in my own life whenever I can, because in reality it makes life much easier. And the the simple definition, the definition of Occam's razor is that the most simple explanation is actually the answer. So is this just what it is? So is this the case here? Instead of these complicated twists and turns, bizarre rabbit holes, is it really that simple? Is it all about sex? Amelia, I do want to add that from the autopsy report, The examiner does not make mention of any sexual molestation, and the girls were fully clothed. But, you know, now that you say that, I think that this could make sense that it was about sex. If potentially one of them had previously had a consensual sex relationship with the perpetrator, and now they refused, he may have been furious, plus he may have been on drugs at the time, and if he was armed may have let his anger and frustration get out of control? Maybe? Possibly? 
Um, and there's also been talk amongst the family of exhuming the bodies of the girls at some point. However, I think they would like to know the probability of finding any physical evidence after 40 years. Technology has improved so much. So I myself would not be opposed to seeing what evidence may be available with today's science. Is there still a way to prove after 40 years if Vicky could have been pregnant or not? Could there be DNA evidence left behind under fingernails? Or is this all just wishful thinking? That may sound like an absurd question, but did you know that DNA buried below a few feet underground can last anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 years? Before we go away for the Thanksgiving holiday, we just wanted to take a minute to give our own thanks. So here's a huge thank you to each and every one of you for listening to our podcast. Believe it or not, every single listen gets Carla and Vicki's family one step closer to finding justice. Every call, email, and post we receive helps us weed out fact from fiction. Even when we get calls from someone that has taken the time to help correct our mistakes. Those calls turn into long conversations. A note from the real estate agent that has pinpointed the location Randy remembered being at when they bought drugs, the friends that went to school with the girls and have shared good memories, the out-of-state news anchor with information to pass down, the reporter from another county sharing files that he himself retrieved years ago, the sheriff from another town that wants to help, the retired TBI agent that lends support when he can, and to all of Carla and Vicki's family that has been instrumental in finding justice, and to everyone in Stewart County for embracing this podcast. This is what we call crowdsourcing. Thank you for listening to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. And tell your friends, the more we share the girl's story, the more information we can gather by crowdsourcing. And find us on Facebook to see photos and follow-up discussion.